My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents. I'm Howard Dory. I'm his wifehood, Jessica Dory. All right. <laughs> and we are back with another irreverent dive into some lesser known stories about the early American presidents. Welcome back. This season, and this wasn't really intentional, but the episodes are kind of shaping up to be kind of heavy on the morbid death and destruction side. But, I mean, not really. Yes, there's morbidity and death and destruction, but they've been pretty upbeat. Except that last one. Yeah. The last one was pretty somber. Maybe maybe it's COVID. Maybe it was right before the election. I don't know. Today is no exception. What? But the good news is that we're not dealing with tragic deaths of people whose stories were never told or who lost their lives far too young. Today, we're going to talk about four presidential deaths and one of the greatest, strangest set of coincidences of all time. If they were, in fact, coincidences at all. You told me I had to be like upbeat for this one that I needed to get my happy face on and let, you know, and now you're telling me we're talking about death again? Yeah. Well, I, I do love talking about death. <laughs> All right. I'm on board. In our Hamilton and Adams episode, we briefly mentioned George Washington's death in December of 1799. He was the first president to die. And it would be another 27 years before another president would die. That's the longest we've gone as a country without a president dying. But to be fair, there were far fewer ex-presidents than to die. Anyway, <laughs> bam, on July 4th, 1826, on the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, two presidents die. Wow. I think they had some kind of memo or bond or blood brother bond, something, some kind of negotiation where they decided to die on the same day. Something this is, this was going on. This coincidence is too strange. Something was going on, and we're going we're gonna to dive into the details oh, of really? those deaths later. Okay. But after their deaths, it was another five years before another president died. Exactly five years. The next president to die was James Monroe, who died in 1831, also on the 4th of July. This is not, this is some kind of Illuminati shit. Clearly. <laughs> this is some kind of... Yeah, there's there's definitely something mysterious going on, and I hope you get to the bottom of it. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> After him, it was another five years before the next president died. So that, we had 27 years and then two sets of five. Yeah, and that president I'm was, looking for patterns. Sure, patterns everywhere. Yeah. Get your whiteboard out. Okay. <laughs> that president was James Madison, and we'll discuss the circumstances surrounding his death and the 4th of July later. But let's start with the famous founding frenemies. You can't tell the story of the deaths of Thomas Jefferson and John Adams without talking about their complicated relationship. Mm, so many complicated relationships among these folks. Right. Just the drama. Oh, the drama. I'd like to think that one of the defining moments in their relationship came in the Continental Congress. Even before they worked together on the Declaration Committee, uh, there was a debate and at some point, Thomas Jefferson objected to a motion that mentioned Christianity. And Adams got up and defended the motion and said he was sorry to hear such sentiments from a gentleman he so highly respected, and that it was the only instance he'd ever known of a man with sound sense and real genius that was an enemy to Christianity. Mm. Adams was afraid that when he said that, that he offended Jefferson. But then Jefferson crossed the room and took a seat in the chair right next to Adams which convinced Adams that he had not, in fact, offended Jefferson. And I think this was a great example of Jefferson's conflict avoidance at all costs and the beginning of Adams's man crush on Jefferson. Because <laughs> he's saying, like, I'm a good Christian man. How dare you come in here with your genius and your southern charms and challenge my beliefs, you rogue of a man, you. But you're so sexy. Yeah, it's like, come a little closer, Mr. Jefferson. Sh <laughs> show me what losing my religion might look like. <laughs> Take me in your arms. <laughs> So their friendship grew even more in France and England when they were ambassadors during the war and after. But like so many founders, 
even though they agreed on independence, when it came to actual governing, there were some pretty big differences. They eventually ran against each other for the presidency, and there was some serious mudslinging. Basically, Jefferson hired a guy to talk shit about Adams, and that guy called Adams a hermaphrodite. Calendar, right? Yeah, James Calendar. That's one name I can't forget. <laughs> and Adams's campaign said that Jefferson was immoral, that he would turn your daughters into prostitutes, and under his administration, there would be no God. Still better than anything Adams ever said about Hamilton, um, which <laughs> right. we covered a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So which relationship do you think is more tumultuous here? The ones with Adams and Hamilton or Adams and Jefferson? Well, I think the ones between Adams and Jefferson were more dynamic and mm-hmm. that they were very close friends and then they were kind of enemies and then they went back to friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Adams and Hamilton never had any respect for each other. So and that's not from true. the get-go. It was, it was never good. Yeah. <laughs> but with Jefferson, at least there were some sunny spots. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And John Adams was, as they say, always an honest man, often a great one, and sometimes a messy bitch who lived for drama. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So Adams and Jefferson didn't talk for about 10 years. Then It's a mut- long time to be feuding. It is a long time. Then their mutual friend, Dr. Benjamin Rush, old rawhead and bloody bones. When are we going to do an episode on him for serious? Hey, hey, hey. Okay, sorry. There's no Rush. <laughs> You're spinning the idioms left and right, and I can't even like drink my water. There's more of a water. pun, I would say. You know what? Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> so he helped get them back together. And they wrote hundreds of letters to each other, truly a treasure trove of American writing. In one of the first letters in 1813, Adams said, you and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. Now, nobody ever listened to John Adams, but Jefferson seems to have taken that letter to heart, and they explained themselves to death for 13 years. And then on July 4th, 1826, they both died. At the same day. At the same same day, day. Same anniversary 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, of which they were the two leading men involved. And even if it was just Adams or just Jefferson on on the anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, I mean, that would have been remarkable. That would have been enough. Die anew. Die anew. But but the fact that they both died on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, I sniff something. Yeah. There's some Illuminati work here. That's all I have to say. It it doesn't seem normal. No. All right. So let's get into their individual deaths. John Adams had been preparing for his death for a long time. Just a couple months after Abigail died in 1818, when John was 83, he started organizing his things for his children. He wrote to John Quincy that he was deeply immersed in researches, not astronomical or metaphysical, but after old papers. Trunks, boxes, desk drawers locked up for 30 years have been broken open because keys are lost. Nothing stands in my way. Every scrap shall be found and preserved for your affliction and for your good. I am not employed very anxiously and laboriously merely to save you trouble. After all, I shall leave you an inheritance sufficiently tormenting. The huge pile of family letters will make you alternatively laugh and cry, fret and fume, stomp and scold as they do me. Wow. I mean, I know I say wow a lot. I think we could make like a a record with just me going wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. The wow cut. Wow. Maybe we should um, take our Patreon money and get you a thesaurus. I'm so excited about our patrons that have signed up. That's like, welcome. We're so excited to have you. I caught that little dig, by the way. Don't think I didn't hear that. I love your wows. There's nothing wrong with your wows. You're the one who points them out and, and is self-conscious about them. I love hearing them. Okay, well, I think as long as we can make a some kind of music cut about them for our patrons, I'll feel better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but back to that letter, that was really beautiful. And it, I love how he clears up that it's not just to organize it for his convenience. It's about running through the emotions of their lives and and laughing and crying as he reads these letters. I love that. Yeah, that work that he did to make sure those papers were preserved, maybe one of the best things he ever did. And it pres- yes, because it preserved his history and his and Abigail's history. So in his old age, Adams's eyes were going, he'd lost all his teeth, maybe because he ate chocolate for breakfast every day. Oh, Who's to that say? Sounds a lot like me. <laughs> He'd really started to decline in early 1826 when he was 90 years old. Uh, A friend, Benjamin Waterhouse, visited Adams, and he wrote to John Quincy saying, 
To the eyes of a physician, your father appeared to me much nearer to the bottom of the hill. Ooh. I hope no one says that to me. No. Well, or to someone about you. Right. Yeah. Or about anybody, really, I love. No. He seems near the bottom of the hill. Right. It's like, well, how do we get him back up again? Yeah, there's... (laughs) Get him up the hill. There's no returning. Oh, jeez. He was going downhill fast by late June. Um, But the 50th anniversary of the signing of the declaration was coming up. It was a big deal. He was getting invitations to go to events. Uh, He, Jefferson, and just one other signer, Charles Carroll, were the only ones left alive. Some of the townsfolk visited Adams on June 30th to ask him for a toast they could read aloud at Quincy's 4th of July celebration. He was sitting in his favorite chair in the library. And they said, give us a toast, John Adams. And he said, I will give you independence forever. And they said, okay, cool. Uh, Anything else you'd like to say? And he said, not a word. (laughs) Um, I'm not totally sure that he wasn't just propped up like weekend at Bernie style at that point. Uh, But he seemed alive enough to give the shortest toast ever. But by the next day, he could hardly talk at all. The few visitors he had couldn't really understand what he was saying. On the night of July 3rd, Adams was suffering a lot. His granddaughter wrote that he was given a medicine that she said, I should not be surprised if he did not live 24 hours, unless the medicine worked, and then she said he might live a week or two. I don't trust these doctors. No? They gave Jupiter some medicine, and he died from it nine hours later. Days later, actually. Nine days later. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. And now they're giving him medicine. I I don't know. Do you think these presidents were poisoned um, to put them out of their misery? Well, that's that may be one of the theories that we discuss soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to jump the gun. No, how dare you? Adams had some close friends visit on the fourth, and he was in bed with his eyes closed, with difficulty breathing. Uh, you could hear cannons going off from celebrations of the holiday in the distance, and there was a huge thunderstorm too. I mean, you grew up in California, so you don't really have that much experience with big summer thunderstorms. I've experienced a summer thunderstorm in Virginia. Okay, that's something. That's And it was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it was not your, you know, your light rain. No. And the, the thunder and the lightning were violent. So this is happening all while there's cannons going off and Adams is having difficulty breathing in bed. Adams came to at one point and when they told him what day it was, he said, it is a great day. It is a good day. Then he reportedly said, Thomas Jefferson survives. A little later, he struggled for breath and whispered to his granddaughter for help before he finally died at 6.20 p.m. on the 4th of July. You know, you describing John Adams' death, I really, I feel like I'm compartmentalizing right now because he was one of my faves and I really don't like thinking about him dying. But at the moment, I feel nothing. I don't have the energy to feel it. He was 90 years old. He lived to see the 50th anniversary of his work. I mean, death is always sad, but this isn't the same as like a a tragic, young, unplanned death. uh, To me, anyway. Yeah. It's just any old man whispering to their granddaughter for help. That's pretty. I know. I didn't want to necessarily. That's disturbing. But I'm going to compartmentalize it. And I'm going to continue to do that. I know. I question whether to keep that part in. Because a lot of people say his final words were Thomas Jefferson survives. But no, his final words were help me, help me. Help me. Oh, God. And I just. Why wouldn't you keep it in? It's just a bummer, you know? Well, this whole story is a bummer. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> There's more. Okay. There's more. I'm just saying I, I'm sufficiently numb compartmentalizing the death of John Adams at the moment. Okay, that's a good status. I have a I have a wall up. <laughs> you can try to continue to break it down. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Okay. One final thunderbolt shook the house, and then the sun came out, bursting forth with uncommon splendor at the moment of his exit, according to one man who was there. So the house exploded? No, the sun was bursting forth. Oh, the f- sun was brown. <laughs> yes. Like, the cannon went through yeah. the house. Like, what and then the, the entire whole of Quincy, Massachusetts was sucked into the earth. <laughs> um, no. So even though he'd said Jefferson survives as though they were in some kind of contest to see who would live the longest. In a way they were. Or maybe he was saying the world is okay and it's all okay because Jefferson is alive. Well, he was wrong. Oh, no. Did Jefferson die first? Yeah. <gasps> Oh, my God. Surprise. Uh. Sorry. (laughs) That brings us to the death of Thomas Jefferson. 
So Adams, by the way, he was one of the only men to die, we're going to talk about here, that died without huge debts. A big part of that is the fact that the plantation economy in the South was falling apart, and it had been for a while. It turns out that the slave economy was both immoral and financially unsustainable. So Jefferson was broke at the end of his life. He was trying to hang on to what he had. He was working with the Virginia legislature to create a lottery for some of his land that would help with his debt. He wrote his last will that March in 1826, and his body was in even worse shape than his finances. He'd been suffering from diarrhea and a chronic disorder of the urinary tract caused apparently by an enlargement of the prostate gland. Oh, man. Sorry, Jefferson. Yeah. He was taking large doses of laudanum, and that was opium, um, some sort of opium concentrate mixed in alcohol. It was all the rage back then. Everybody was taking it, using it to treat everything. So he was taking it to treat his enlarged prostate? And he was to, to treat everything, to and help him sleep. the urinary tract? Everything. Probably, yeah. Hmm. How do I get my hands on some of that? <laughs> I'm just um, I think the internet. We'll <laughs> We know that Jefferson's personal physician, Rob Lee Dunglison, was prescribing him laudanum. Rob Lee Dunglison. Say that, say that again. Rob Lee Dunglison. He was, was from prescribing what? Him laudanum. Okay, so just, I want to hear from the beginning. Rodney, blah, blah, blah. Was, right. Okay, say it again. We, we know that Thomas Jefferson's personal physician, Rob Lee Dunglison, was prescribing him laudanum. Okay, you should say it again. One more time? Yeah. Are you just messing with me? <laughs> I'm messing with you. All right. So Rob Lee Dunglison, he was from England, which makes sense because he sounds like a Harry Potter character. I can't even begin to try to pronounce that name. He moved to the United States just to teach at Thomas Jefferson's new uh, university, the University of Virginia. I think, I don't know if he was teaching potions or dark arts, but <laughs> that's why he was there. A year before Jefferson's death, Rob Lee Dunglison wrote Jefferson a letter apologizing <laughs> for not being able to make it to Monticello because he said, an abscess occasioned by the rays of the sun powerfully heating my saddle has prevented me from visiting Monticello for the last few days. Oh, wow. I'm not a doctor. That doesn't sound good. It sounds like the sun and his horse teamed up to give Robley Dunglison an anal fistula. Uh, oh, no. Why do anal fistulas keep coming up? I don't know. And to what end? And, uh, his so, rear end, I guess. <laughs> so there's more anal fistulas to come? No. No, this um, is the last anal fistula we'll talk about this season. Okay. But Knock this on is, wood. But this is a good sign, according to previous podcasts that we have done, because the... The oh, yeah. subterranean fumes didn't go to his head. They went That's to right. his anus where yeah. he made a fistula. So at least his you know, brain is okay. Yeah, we can say that for sure. Or it just could be like, you know, how some people are not good at lying and they come up with a really elaborate excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so you think he should have just said the real I, truth. Yeah, I don't I'm not feel feeling like well. it. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's like, I have two anuses <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to get back on my horse. Well, he got back on the horse, and he gave Jefferson lots of laudanum. According to future President John Tyler, Jefferson had always said that he wanted to die on the 4th of July. And we know the date was important to him. I mean, writing the Declaration, it was one of the only three things he wanted listed on his grave, uh, along with writing the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom and founding the University of Virginia. And we also know that Jefferson never wanted to celebrate his birthday. He said the only birthday that mattered to him was his country's. Wow. Yeah. That's very honorable, I guess. Yeah. In their final letters to each other, Jefferson and Adams were reminiscing about the days of the revolution and how the current generation would never really understand what they'd gone through. And this anniversary was a big deal, especially to these two. Right. They were getting invitations to Jubilees, visitors, like I said. And Jefferson's like, no, I don't celebrate. No, Jefferson wanted to celebrate Only the, the country, fourth, and I he get wrote it. he wrote a nice big speech for other people to read and to print. But <laughs> these guys were both way too sick to actually go anywhere, right? And that you know they didn't have Zoom. <laughs> God, uh, I mean, this was a big deal. It's like imagine in the year twenty forty four when it's the fiftieth anniversary of the movie Speed. <laughs> Who do you want at your party? All right. Well, um, Dennis Hopper. No, go on. <laughs> Um, oh my God, Jack Daniels. What? <laughs> is that the whiskey? No, what's his name? 
Jeff Daniels, the best friend who gets blown up by the house bomb. Okay. He's he's from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, yeah. But nope, not him. What is I what think I at the top. Think of the big Okay, Keanu Reeves. Yes. <laughs> and Sandra Bullock. Yes. Jefferson and Adams were the Keanu and Sandra okay, I'm sorry of the to, Declaration of Independence. I didn't get the memo on that on that plan. And in this metaphor, Ben Franklin is the bus. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Thomas Jefferson was basically unconscious from July 2nd on in his alcove bed. Let me show you a picture of his bed. What's an alcove bed? Oh, you'll see what an alcove bed is. So there's a square archway and a bed in it. That's yeah. kind of cozy. It separated his bedroom from his office. Yeah. Okay. So in, on one side is his office and the other side is his bedroom. Yeah. But his bed is in the middle of yeah, the Yeah, so he had to roll from one room to the other, I guess. That's nice. Maybe he needed to force himself to sleep sometimes. So Maybe. He had to force himself to lay down to get to the other room and then uh, he'd yeah. pass out. I don't know. Why on earth would he put his bed in the freaking hallway? I don't know. I'm halfway between thinking like what kind of freak would do that <laughs> and thinking I really want one of those. I totally agree. It looks really cozy. Yeah. I mean... Because you think about it, you never get into your bed from the foot of it, usually. This is true. And this way, nothing's going to get you from from the foot or the ceiling or the back. Right. You still have under the bed, though, is a problem. But well, you got your just, chamber pot there. It, it just seems very secure and safe. It's the kind of thing that a child would like. Yeah. So right near the end, Jefferson's treatment seemed to consist of alternating laudanum, then tea, then brandy... It doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> is this is this a note on how you want to go? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep this in mind. He woke up on the evening of July 3rd and he said, this is the 4th. And they had to tell him, no, not yet. Sorry. Oh, no. And then he went back to sleep. A couple hours later, it was time for more laudanum and he refused saying, no doctor, nothing more. Wow. So was he hoping to reach the 4th? It seems like he wanted to reach the 4th so he could die on the 4th. It seems like it. He woke up a few more times asking, is this the 4th? Is this uh, the 4th? And finally, his grandson-in-law, Nicholas Triss, lied to him and said, yeah, it's the 4th. Woohoo! Uh, uh, and Jefferson said, ah, just as I wished. And he went back to sleep. Oh. But he didn't die then. Okay. He was talking in his sleep about the revolution and Continental Congress committees his last words were apparently orders to his slaves about something, but we don't know what. So he, even in his stupor as an old dying man, he was still talking about politics. Yeah. Wow. Then he died at one in the afternoon on the 4th of July. His family clipped some of his hair for relics, as you do. <laughs> as you do. I don't, I don't do that. As they did. <laughs> um, and that What was time it. did he die? You said one? 1 p.m. and... Job. Adams died uh, at 620. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Oops. Wow, wow. Oops. <laughs> How did the world react to this news? Um, well, news was slow back then, first of all, so it took a while to get out. Right. They'd already had John Adams's whole funeral before President John Quincy Adams even got the news. Wow. I know. John Quincy wrote that it was a visible and palpable mark of divine favor for which I would humble myself in grateful and silent adoration before the ruler of the universe. So this great coincidence could only be explained at the time by divine intervention. Right. Daniel Webster in his eulogy wrote, On our 50th anniversary, the great day of National Jubilee, in the very hour of public rejoicing, in the midst of echoing and re-echoing voices of thanksgiving, while their own names were on all tongues, they took their flight together to the world of spirits. And that was the popular sentiment. God mm -hmm. loves America so much that he took two of its founders on America's birthday. Right. But not everybody agreed with that assessment. Yeah, I think there's some poison involved. We'll see. John Randolph of Roanoke, who we'll meet again in a later episode. But for now, oh, really, let's just say for now that he does not deserve that many syllables. So I'm going to call him Jack. <laughs> when Jack heard the news, he wrote, And so Mr. Adams is dead on the 4th of July, too, just half a century after our Declaration of Independence, and leaving his son on the throne. This is euthanasia indeed. They have killed Mr. Oh, Jefferson too see? on the same day, but I don't believe it. Wow. More people might have felt this way, but Jack Randolph had no filter, so uh. he didn't mind saying it. Maybe that was a family plan. <sighs> I don't know. We'll get more into the possibilities later when we talk about Margaret Batten's theories. She's a hmm. bioethicist and really uh, into the right to die movement, and she really dug into this. 
But first, let's move forward five years to the death of James Monroe. Okay. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Several founders had really loving relationships with their wives, but James and Elizabeth Monroe, they were truly close. Mm. Of course, their love letters were burned, so we don't have a great insight into all of that. But we know that it was really tender. They traveled together. Like other founding fathers, when they went to France or England or wherever, usually left their families behind. Mm-hmm. But James and, and Elizabeth, said, right? <laughs> these two were always together. And when mm-hmm. they weren't, um, they expressed the desire to be together. Would you take me along? Um, it depends on the Pro- budget. That's, you know. that's a no. I would definitely take you. No, you wouldn't take me along. How dare you think that? <laughs> you would leave me behind with the children. No, I would take you all. Mm, really yeah if i could that's a no it depends on how long the trip was <laughs> why do you say that if it's a short trip I'm i mean sure it's, it's a, lot. a long trip <laughs> wait no if it's a long trip i'd take you along because i would miss you uh-huh. if it's a short trip you know m- maybe not oh i see yeah okay that's what i meant all right i thought you meant the opposite um if it's a short trip you can i did come. not mean to say the opposite uh-uh. <laughs> so when elizabeth died in 1830 james was devastated mm-hmm Biographer Tim McGrath wrote that it was painfully obvious that when Elizabeth died, Monroe stopped living. My own mortality is starting to to creep into my thoughts. Yeah, try to compartmentalize that. Yeah. Just do your <laughs> I'm best. I'm trying, but you've been trying to break down my walls here, so. But not to make you confront your own mortality. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's a game we play sometimes, but, you know. Um, Monroe's health went south, and he went north to live with his daughter and son-in-law in in New York because it became clear that he would never return to his home, Oak Hill, again. In April 1831, Monroe wrote to James Madison that because of his ill state of health continuing, he'd be staying in New York. And his ill health and advanced years meant that I deeply regret that there is no prospect of our ever meeting again. Mm. So James Monroe and James Madison They had a similar relationship to Adams and Jefferson, except without the 10-year break and all the feuding. They were really close. They were both protégés of Thomas Jefferson. They were both from Virginia, strong voices in the Democratic-Republican Party. They were basically like twins. Uh, Um, That's that's good, because I do get them mixed up. It's common to get them mixed up. But they were twins in like the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito movie sense. (laughs) One was three feet tall. (laughs) James Monroe was over six feet tall, broad shouldered, (laughs) kind of majestic. Uh And Madison was stallion. Yeah, he was sure. Mm -hmm. Madison was short, somewhere between five feet and five foot four, Mm -hmm. possibly only a hundred pounds. And he was described as a withered little apple. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So they were twins, but they were different, but But they were both named James and that was special. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wrote some of this pretty late at night. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the midnight hour. I can tell. <laughs> John Quincy Adams visited Monroe on April twenty seventh, mm-hmm. and he said that he was confined to his bedchamber and extremely feeble and emaciated. His voice was so feeble that he seemed exhausted by the exertion of speaking. 
His caretaker wrote that during all May and part of June, he had chills and fever every day, and his cough was too obstinate and deeply seated in his lungs to be removed by human skill. For weeks, apparently, Monroe repeatedly expressed the most ardent wish to die. God. Yeah. If only someone could make that wish come true. Uh, Euthanasia. I think it's noteworthy that both Adams and Monroe could hear celebrations from their windows, like cannons firing. And I have to think that does something to your mind and your body, like some kind of overwhelming reaction to hearing a celebration of something that you were so closely connected with. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it brings a great sense of peace or just a swell of emotions, but yeah. I think that that has to have something to do with what's going on here. Really? Yeah. Like when you're that close to death and you hear cannons firing in the distance, it's, it's almost they like they're saying ready? like, you're done. <laughs> or you're Kaboom. ready. This is the best it gets. The world yeah. or your country is celebrating something you put into play. Yeah. Except, for, I mean, Monroe didn't have much to do with it. <laughs> At least the, you know, independence claiming he was part of the revolution and he got yeah. injured and all that. But Sure, he could listen to those cannons and, and think back to his old days, too. Mm-hmm. His friend and caretaker, Tench Ringgold. These names. I know. So Tench Ringgold wrote to James Madison on the 4th of July with the news, It falls to my lot to communicate to you the death of our excellent friend, Mr. Monroe. He died exactly at half past three o'clock p.m. after a lingering illness, but easy death. And he closed the letter with, What a remarkable coincidence of the deaths of three of our venerable revolutionary patriots and presidents. Okay, Tench. Coincidence? Really? What a coincidence. That can't be. Um, But I I don't understand why... Like, so say is euthanasia. I don't understand why he would be included in that Illuminati decision. You keep saying Illuminati. You just mean like conspiracy theory? Okay. Uh, Because I don't want to get letters. From the Illuminati, you know, from like... I do. That would be really cool. Yeah. Bob Jones at Illuminati.com says... (laughs) um, Yeah, I got to wonder whether James Monroe was actively trying to die on the same day as his predecessors. Did he think that was a good idea? How do you actively die? I don't know. Let's get into Margaret Batten's theories. Yes. I have a feeling I'm going to like her. Yeah. Margaret Pabst Batten is a professor at the University of Utah and a bioethicist... Like I said, big in the right to die community. Mm -hmm. She's interested in these deaths because the real causes of them can possibly tell us a lot about what we think as a society about the end of life. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So she laid out six possibilities. I'm just going to go through each one of them and we can kind of discuss. Oh, cool. Number one is coincidence. Yeah, we've decided that that's probably not it. Yeah, that's pretty impossible. Batten brings up that the confluence of not only the same day of the year which there's a one in 365 chance of something like that. But the same significant date, the 4th of July, Mm -hmm. and the same significant anniversary for Adams and Jefferson? No way. Right, right. To me, a coincidence might be if they died on some random date, like April 7th or March 12th. Right. Or even if one of them died on the 4th of July, that would be a huge coincidence. That would even be too much. Yeah, that would be unlikely too. Yeah. The second theory... March 12th is my birthday. What a coincidence. (laughs) You said that on purpose. How dare you? The second theory is divine intervention. And that was a popular theory of the day. Even JQA mentioned it. Uh, it's really, I mean, that's the nicest way to talk about it. In the same way we talk about death in general, in comforting terms about better places and people living in our memories. And Yeah, that's not it either. <laughs> um, I might consider I divine intervention if instead of just dying during a thunderstorm, like a bolt of lightning, like crashed through Peacefield and struck Adams in his bed and Jefferson at the same time in his alcove bed. <laughs> like that would send a message. That would make me go, hmm. There's like, there might be a higher power at play here. Yeah. Can you imagine like their families like writing diary entries that day if that <laughs> happened? No. Um, okay. So the theory of divine intervention doesn't seem to be very plausible. Right. And there's also some evidence that less Jewish men die during a Passover weekend, mm-hmm. but more die right after that. Mm. And even that fewer elderly Chinese women died during the Harvest Moon Festival, but that same percentage die right after it, as if they're holding on to get past a significant event. And obviously, you can't hold on if you can't hold on, though. Right. I don't think everybody can control their death, but a lot of end-of-life care physicians think that some people might have the ability to... Prolong. Prolong for hours or maybe days if they've got a goal in mind. 
Dr. Toby Campbell, an oncologist and palliative care specialist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, he said that when it comes to extending your life by hours through sheer will, people who are dying probably have some kind of hormonal stimulus that's just a driver to keep them going. Then when whatever event they were waiting for happens, the stimulus goes away and there must be some kind of relaxing into it that then allows them to die. Wow, doctor's sleep. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I, I see evidence of this on a smaller scale. When you've got a big event coming up, like a party or a show or something that you're in, you push your body through it no matter what. And then right afterwards, you just you fall apart. Maybe you get sick. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a similar thing kind of going on. Interesting. Anyway, I like this theory. I think there's something to it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. But still, the alignment of their deaths, I mean, they would have to be in a very similar place. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Which, again, is very unlikely. The next theory is being allowed or caused to die by others. Was there... So, poisoned? Ba yeah. <laughs> Batten asks, was there a silent conspiracy among physicians, family members, and other caregivers to help their patient make it to the fourth? An effort discontinued when that goal was reached? And she's talking about euthanasia. Right. But, Which I Jack mean, Randolph suspected this might be the case. Right. Good old Jack. Yeah. So, but I think, I mean, my personal thought is that Adams and Jefferson would be in on this conspiracy. Yeah, maybe. Maybe very well. Because Who knows? they were asking about the fourth and they wanted yeah. to reach the fourth. It was clear they wanted to reach it, but were they cognizant enough to agree or ask for things that might have helped them get there or stop there? That's that's a question. Not, I don't know. Yeah. I shared this story once in a post I wrote, and I, I think it's been used in a TV show or something, like the same kind of misunderstanding, but it really happened to me first. Um, I remember in high school, I was writing a paper on euthanasia, and I told my mom that, and she said, well, why wouldn't you just write about youth in America? <laughs> and I said, I said, no, euthanasia, like one word, like mercy killings. <laughs> and then when I said that, she nodded like, oh, and she nodded euthanasia. like she, yeah, she nodded like she'd had to put down a lot of people back in her day. <laughs> and that just gave me the sense that this is the kind of thing that's, that's always been around and just mm -hmm. not talked about. And we really, we don't know how many deaths were helped along throughout history or even still are because it's yeah. just not talked about. Yeah. I, I've seen documentaries on um, the right to die and just, you know, it's crossed my mind. The, like that you're like, you're ready? <laughs> You're like, I've seen documentaries and I thought I would rather be dead. <laughs> this is okay. getting dark and I don't mean it to. I'm just trying to come up with some words <laughs> okay. yeah. about the fact that I support anyone's choice to die. Now, I'm not talking about suicide. I'm just saying the euthanasia aspect if done properly, I think is a very um, humane way. It's all in the execution. <laughs> Theory number five is allowing oneself to die. So did Adams, Jefferson, and even Monroe think that their suffering and the state of their lives was no longer worth living? Batten talks about a letter that Jefferson wrote to Adams about a 93-year-old man whose life was, he said, at most but the life of a cabbage, surely not worth a wish. When all our faculties have left or are leaving us one by one, sight, hearing, memory, every avenue of pleasing sensation is closed and debility and malaise left in their place. When the friends of our youth are all gone and a generation is risen around us whom we know not, is death an evil? Adams replied, is death an evil? It is not an evil. It is a blessing to the individual and to the world. Yet we ought not to wish for it till life becomes insupportable. Mm. Wow. So did it become insupportable or unsupportable for these guys? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, but I, it's still the coincidence is still too, too high. Yeah. The final theory, number six, is causing oneself to die. Maybe they took a more active role in their own deaths. Interesting. So Batten, she's a bioethicist. Uh, she talks about the right to die, and her perspective kind of comes through here when she says, causing oneself to die need not carry the pejorative label suicide. It can be seen rather as a matter of self-deliverance in preference to the sufferings and indignities of protracted dying. 
I mean, I definitely agree with her, but at the same time, um, I think it depends on the course of life or what, you know, where in life you are or why you're willing to die. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a lot of factors. The way she's saying it, I like it. She's saying it's not suicide. It's more like death management. <laughs> and I like that it, it takes off Let the... Let me manage this for you. Yeah, it takes away the, the like sinful connotation or the shameful element out mm-hmm, of it mm-hmm. and kind of leaves a decision on the people involved. Right. Well, there's, you know, there's a whole movement about suicide and and to be cautious of your terminology with suicide. It's not committed or. um, Yeah, they died from suicide. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This theory seems kind of plausible in some ways. Biographer Fawn Brody wrote, if ever two men in history chose and controlled the moment of their dying, they were John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And remember, John Tyler said that Thomas Jefferson often expressed a wish to die on the 4th. And he refused his medicine the night before, saying, no doctor, nothing more. Kind of like the raven. (laughs) Only death and nothing more. (laughs) (laughs) So which do you think? Um, I think there's a lot going on. We're never going to know exactly what happened. But I think that some of this is cleared up with facts surrounding the death of James Madison. What? So James Madison's health was never good. Is he the three foot one or the six foot one? Nobody was three feet tall. <laughs> okay. He was but, probably five foot. Okay. Five foot four or something like that. Shorter than me. Yeah. Okay. So his health was never good. No, it was never good. He, he may have had epilepsy. He was a hypochondriac for sure. He seemed to fear that he was on the brink of death for decades. Um, Even back in 1788, after working his little butt off to get that constitution ratified, his body was spent. He was extremely feeble, as he put it, and he went on to recover at Mount Vernon with Washington back when they were friends. Madison's life would never get less challenging than that. Um, He had a lifetime ahead of him of partisan fighting, a financially devastating stepson that we covered last season, the War of 1812 while he was president. But he kept on ticking and he outlived all the other founders. Even though he was feeling like shit the whole time. Yeah. He was 85 years old when the end was imminent. And his wife, Dolly Madison, rarely left his side for the last eight months of his life at Montpelier. Uh, You remember Jefferson's bed? Yeah. James Madison actually, yeah, Madison actually slept in a pullout drawer. No, that's not true. What? I'm sorry. That's not fair. Okay. What was his bed like? I think it was just a normal bed, but I like to imagine Dolly putting him away at night. (laughs) So guess who one of James Madison's doctors was? Benjamin Rush? Rob Lee Dunglison. Oh, gosh. So that tells us... So his anal fistula had healed. Probably. Yeah. He probably, I don't know, iced his saddle or whatever it took. (laughs) And so he was involved in two of these presidencies. Not necessarily. With their health care, but maybe not at the end. And we know that laudanum and drugs were definitely on the table because Dunglison was his physician for a long time. But the doctors that were with Madison at the end were named Peyton Grimes and Thomas Slaughter. Oh, that's fitting. What do you mean? (laughs) So did he slaughter this poor man? How dare you? (laughs) Dr. Slaughter is a fine doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Says the the cow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Madison seems to be the only one of these presidents who was still kind of coherent at the end. And he was able to have conversations. That's a nightmare name. Dr. Slaughter? Yeah. I, I don't know what you mean. That's a nightmare name. It, How could he possibly... Like, if you're going to be a doctor of someone's health and care, you need to change that. Like, you can't you can't be a doctor and be called Slaughter. Why there, not? You're not doing well. You know you're going to be fine when you stay at Dr. Dr. Slaughter Slaughter's at house. the Slaughterhouse. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Um... A hugely informative piece of information about Madison's death comes from his niece, Mary Cutts. This really puts all of this in a much less hypothetical perspective. She wrote, The physicians were anxious to prolong his life until the 4th of July, but he refused to take the necessary stimulants and died June 28, 1836, in the full possession of all his faculties. So he preferred instead to die, it was written, in the full possession of all his noble faculties. Okay, so he wanted to die before he got too sick and too old. Apparently so. The last time his doctors were with him was the night of the 27th, 
the night right before his death. That was probably his final slaughterhouse call. God. <sighs> At breakfast on the morning of July 28th, he couldn't swallow. His niece asked him, what's the matter, Uncle James? And he said, nothing more than a change of mind, my dear. Then his enslaved servant, Paul Jennings, wrote, his head instantly dropped and he ceased breathing as quietly as the snuff of a candle goes out. Okay. So I'm thinking he thought about the fourth coming up and he did not want any part of this weird tradition. <laughs> and so he either downed some drugs early on his own or somehow with his mighty brain, he just willed his little body to die. <laughs> I don't so think that's like, possible. Sure, no, what's wrong, uncle? And he says nothing more than a change of mind, my dear. And then he's like... Die, 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 pushing die. out a poop. Plop. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's just a theory. That's uh, my theory. That's not Margaret Batten's. Okay. But somehow she did not include his death or the fact that he was offered stimulants in her article. And I think that it's some of the best evidence to back up the idea that these doctors had zero qualms about using medicine to squeeze an extra few days out of people to make things right. seem like significant and preordained. Yeah, I can definitely see um, prolonging a life. And then you take all that away and then they die. So in a way, it's not euthanasia, but it's kind of reverse euthanasia. Yeah. I mean, it's it's death. It's scheduling death yeah. a bit. Yeah. It's like removing, you know, it's pulling the plug. Yeah. It's it's a nice idea that the doctors were cooperating with Madison, though. Um, they're like, it looks like you're dying. You know, the fourth is coming up. Big day. You want to make it weird? <laughs> I definitely think Madison did the right thing. Mm -hmm. For a few reasons. I mean, for one, just saying no to these drugs was probably a wise choice based on the horrifying side effects of stimulants that yeah. were available back then. Ooh, what were the side effects? I reached out to the Center of the History of Medicine at Harvard. Of course you did. Or at least their Twitter account. <laughs> and I asked them, hey, what kind of stimulants were around that doctors might have prescribed in 1836 to keep someone alive for a little while? And they responded with some of the common ones. And there were quite a few. But one of them... A powerful stimulant that he might have been offered was Spanish fly or cantharsis. Ugh. The dispensatory of the United States that was published right around then in 1839, they called that a highly valuable remedy. But listen to these side effects and just imagine a I'm commercial scared. for this. <laughs> cantharsis may cause obstinate and painful priapism, a prolonged erection, oh vomiting, bloody stools, severe pains in the whole abdominal region. Excessive salivation with a fetid cadaverous breath, hurried respiration, a hard and frequent pulse, frightful convulsions, tetanus, delirium, oh, tetanus. and death. Ask your doctor if cantharsis is right for you. Oh, my God. What is a, what is a cadaver breath? It probably smells like you're dead. <laughs> like what? I didn't know I mean, cadavers breathe. I mean, just like... So it smells... Well, if you squeeze a cadaver, you know that things oh, like purge fluid and other things come fluid. out. Ugh. So cadaver breath is just, you smell like a dead body. I, I guess. Madison decided that hanging on for one more fireworks show was not worth the risk. So good on him for declining. Yeah, that sounds pretty rough, those side effects. Yeah, he wanted to keep his nobler faculties because becoming a slobbery, raging boner goblin doesn't sound very <laughs> noble. To me. I don't want to become a boner goblin. Although I do have an older brother named Noble, and it does kind of sound a little bit like him, actually. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If he's listening, I'm kidding. I don't think he is. I'll find out. I think we really owe a lot to James Madison for breaking the chain. Unless it really was divine intervention. And Madison, like, messed with it. And then death like in the Final Destination movies, got really pissed and decided, I'm not going to wait for another former president this time. Because the next president to die, four years and nine months later, was the sitting president, William Henry Harrison, who'd only been in office for 30 days. Wow. So divine intervention took over. Yeah, Madison messed with death, and death took William Henry Harrison in his prime as well, revenge. At least it was just William Henry Harrison. How dare you? I, know, I don't know anything about him, so I'm just joking. No one does. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. So that's the only explanation. It goes like 26 years or something, and then two deaths, five years later, one death, four years and nine months later, Madison's death, four years and nine months later, Harrison's death. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean... Get me the whiteboard. Do we have... <laughs> do we have um, information about Harrison's death? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, Are we getting into that today? 
Um, well, Should we just go, uh, go all the way down the line? We'll go through every presidential death. So the popular, <laughs> the popular story about Harrison's death is that he gave an hours-long inauguration speech in the cold rain without a coat, and he got pneumonia. Okay, that'll kill you. But the truth is probably more to do with night soil. Oh, no, night soil. There was basically a river of human waste that was not that far from the White House, and it probably contaminated the water, and it probably led to his death. Oh, but why didn't it lead to everyone's death? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> why I don't why have, is it poisoning just him? I, I don't Everyone's have all the answers. Everyone's drinking the water. Yeah, Everyone well, should have dysentery and death. Well, it's either pneumonia, but they think it was probably more likely some kind of infection that he had that likely would have come from contaminated water. But only him? <laughs> First of all, it's so gross. Yeah. Don't drink soiled water. No. No. Boil that shit. Do what Don't. Adams did and drink hard cider and nothing else <laughs> except chocolate. Stick with the camolabum. What was it called? Laudanum? Yeah. Stick with the laudanum. Yeah. Stick with the laudanum, William. Yes. Henry. Don't. Harrison. <laughs> Ford. <laughs> <laughs> now it's looked at as a weird fact about Jefferson and Adams when their same day deaths are mentioned. And then Monroe gets added, and at that point, it just gets kind of uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, and everyone's like, what? Yeah, I don't buy the contemporary explanations that the death of Adams, Jefferson, and Monroe on the 4th were a coincidence without parallel or divine providence. Of all the explanations, I think it's a combination. Of? Well, I don't buy that it could just be a coincidence. If there's any element of coincidence to me... It's that I highly doubt that Jefferson or Adams would have let themselves go on the same day on purpose. Because mm. Adams probably wouldn't have wanted to be overshadowed. <laughs> and so he you was. Think that you think that you're with the theory of them letting go. I think that willpower was definitely involved along with drugs to keep them going. That's what I think. And too. maybe to end their suffering too. Like an extra large dose of something on the day. Right. And then before that, some stuff to keep him going. Time just right. I think there's definitely drugs involved. So less divine intervention, more medical intervention, and right. weird science. Right. I'm glad we agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I'm glad that James Madison broke this weird curse by saying no to drugs. And thank Providence he did because thank the 4th God. of July would have just become a weird joke. Yes. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word, subscribe, write a review. Consider joining our Patreon page to get bonus content, including an upcoming Kinder Plotting podcast series where we talk to our precocious six-year-old daughter about the presidents. <laughs> we'll see how that goes over. We've got three more episodes for you this season. Uh, join us next time for a story about how one of the early presidents was way weirder than he let on. <laughs> and say no to drugs. You know, most of them. Until then, thank you for plotting. Thank you. Bye. I sniff something, but at the moment I feel nothing. <laughs>